Hello, dear listeners. It's me, Desiree, coming at you from the future to welcome you to Tarot Stories, the podcast. I'm so glad you decided to come along with us on this mythical journey through tarot. If you're coming over from YouTube, you know that initially this series was created for video. And if you're new to the show, well, now you know. We're going to point to visual elements of the tarot card for at least the first eight episodes of the series. So unless we specify a different deck, we will be using the Mersai Rider Waite Smith or Worth decks. We may also mention visual elements in our conversations that happen at the end of the stories, at the end of the episodes, having to do with the archetypes and symbols in the myths. So we'll do our best to include these images as posts on social media, and for right now, that's just Instagram at Tarot Stories Podcast. You can always view the video version of these particular episodes on the YouTube channel, a link to which is in the show notes. Once we get to the chariot, you'll notice that the conversation portion is not included. This is because these conversations needed to go on a little longer so we could really get into the nuance of the major arcana symbology. If you want to keep hearing the conversations, those are available on Patreon. Our Patreon has only one tier, and all our bonus material is available to you should you decide to support us at $5 a month. But don't worry if that's not in your budget. The best way to support the show is just to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, even if you listen on a different platform, as I do. I don't make the rules. The algorithm gods have spoken. And... It always helps if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Okay, now I'm going to go back to the future to reimagine a myth from the very distant past with my freshly rewired podcast brain. Now here's Marilia with her take on the magician. Hi, it's me, Marilia, and I want to welcome you to El Salto del Gato's Tarot Stories. Today, we're going to explore... The Magician card. It's the number one card of the 22 major arcana trumps. Here we have moved beyond the cloud of inspirations and dreams and imaginations and arrived at the next layer of thought. This is where we become the magician. In the fool, we had a vague understanding, yet we knew enough to know that an action was required of us, and that was a choice. We had to choose to act or not to act. Either choice put us on a course that we would have to travel and experience it. That brings us to a new stage of development, the magician. Now, here in the magician stage, we start assessing our resources because that vague inspiration that led us to make a choice is now taking a bit more of an identity in our minds. It is requiring a different set of actions from us. We begin to organize and develop strategies. We plan. Part of the process is to sort through our baggage. We must do a self-inventory. What do we already have? What do we bring with us to this moment? We have to unpack the bag that we held on a pole 
in the full and set all out on the table in front of us. The magician takes us to a mirror where we are forced to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what do you desire? What do we see? What have we brought that is useful to us? Name those things and set them in a section of the table. Then we have to look at the things that we are lugging around with us that we can't use, and we need to leave those things behind, discard them in order to move forward. The magician teaches us that we can't bring a lot of useless baggage with us. We have to travel smart as we move forward. The magician implies action, and anything that implies action represents the male energy part of each card. The magician also contains much that is still very vague and under the cover of imagination and idea, and it's not yet physical. In The Magician, we're doing a lot of psychological work, and in that sense, it's very much a feminine energy that is also present. There are goddess and god elements here, but these two are in the emerging phase. They are not yet fully actualized. In The Magician is where we identify the things we need as well as the things we no longer need. And it is here where we have to leave things behind that are no longer useful to us in order to move forward and avoid getting stuck. Now, the first step is to name the thing that is desired. You can never attain a desire that you are not able to name. Next, you need to know what is required to obtain your desire. You have everything you need at your disposal. You just need to find it. Everything else must be left behind and discarded. Take them off your table. After you have purged all unnecessary items, look at the table before you and name the things that are required for you to actualize your desire. Is everything you need present in front of you? If not, you must find it. The magician is holding a wand in his hand, and it is pointed up above his head. The significance of this is that the wand represents a certain level of authority. Authority comes with understanding. So the magician has figured out the desire named, the things that are no longer needed, identified and or located the things needed so an inventory has been taken. Whatever is not on his table that is required, he knows he will obtain. Because the magician understands the principle of as above, so below. The magician knows to ask for assistance in order to find the things he requires pentacles, and that are not yet present, cups, and through his wand actions, he receives the information, the inspiration, the idea, swords. So the magician implies that there is still a very close connection to the other side of the veil, 
that we met in the Fool. It also connects you to the beneficial spiritual mural of the High Priestess, where you find spiritual guidance and trust in the unknown, the uncertain, and the yet to be formed in the Empress. Now, Desiree is going to tell us two stories about mythological goddesses and gods that will represent the experience of the magician from the perspective of the male energy and the female energy. Inanna is a Sumerian goddess dating as far back as 4000 BCE, and judging by all the evidence archaeologists and historians have been able to unearth about her, she was like the goddess of Uruk. She was originally associated with the harvest, and her sacred marriage to Dumuzi was celebrated during the autumnal equinox to ensure a good harvest. However, stories about her show a supreme goddess with power over the heaven and earth. Her name, in fact, means Queen of Heaven. But no realm of existence seems to be beyond her reach. The story I'm going to tell is called The Descent of Inanna, and it tells of her journey to and back out of the underworld, which is her sister Ereshkigal's domain. Now, right away, you are probably thinking of another underworld adventure from our previous episode on the Fool. After all, Inanna's story is the story of the mysteries of the underworld and the celebration of the resulting harvest. However, Inanna's story is less of a mystery. Here, we get a chance to see what happens down there to a goddess before she is ready to spring back up from the earth. That process of rebirth and rediscovery is what we find with the magician. Where Persephone's story explains how we end up falling into the underworld, Inanna's story answers the question, who do you become when you come back to life? And what do you leave behind? Inanna starts out as a very powerful great goddess, queen of heaven and earth. But how did she do that? She is preceded by a supreme deity who is often referred to as her father, Anu, but she takes his place. In the poem, Inanna takes command of heaven, she actually takes the main temple in the city of Uruk from him, and he doesn't put up much of a fight. She also wins the laws of the universe and the power of creation. The word for this is meh in Sumerian, in a drinking contest with the god Inki who is described at times as her brother, but again, he was probably part of an older pantheon of gods. In another poem, we hear of her choosing her consort between a farmer and a herder. We also get an idea of how she felt about him. The poem is, Inanna prefers the farmer. And spoiler alert, the farmer is not her eventual consort, Dumuzi. However, her brother and Dumuzi convince her that Dumuzi, the herder, is a better choice because uh, he gives her better gifts. So, unlike Persephone, Inanna is not abducted, taken to the underworld, and forced to be the queen against her will. But rather, you could say, our goddess is hell-bent on taking that throne. From the great heaven she set her mind on the great below. From the great heaven the goddess set her mind on the great below. From the great heaven Inanna set her mind on the great below. My mistress abandoned heaven, abandoned earth, and descended to the underworld. Inanna abandoned heaven, 
abandoned Earth and descended to the underworld. Hearing of the death of her sister's consort, Inanna prepares to descend into the underworld to pay her respects at the funeral. But really, she is taking advantage of her sister's perceived weakness, and she plans to take the throne for herself. She asks her priestess, Ninshuber, to appease her father, mother, and brothers, all the gods like herself, so that they will help retrieve her if she does not return in three days. As Inanna approaches the gate, the gatekeeper, Neti, asks her, uh, what are you doing here, Inanna? When Inanna tells her that she is there for the funeral, Neti informs Ereshkigal, who is no fool, and tells Neti to bolt all seven gates of the underworld so that she can only pass through one at a time. Ereshkigal obviously knows that she can't stop Inanna, but she can at least slow her down and she can do something else. She requires Inanna offer up one of her royal vestments at each gate. Now, these are not just articles of fine clothing, but they are also the power she has gained to become the goddess she is. So Inanna follows the rules, and at each of the seven gates, she leaves behind more and more of her powers on earth. Depending on the translation, these gifts can be different things, but from the translations I have read, they are Shugura, or the crown, a necklace of lapis beads, a breastplate, or a breastplate beads, rather, also of lapis, an actual breastplate, a gold ring, measuring rod, and royal robe. So by the time she reaches her sister, she is completely naked, and much of her power is gone. But she's still not completely powerless, because she goes right on ahead and sits on her sister's throne, taking it from her. But her sister knows Inanna doesn't have a good understanding of how things work in the underworld. Ereshkigal just watches and waits as the Anunnanki, the judges of the underworld, finish the job of totally destroying the goddess until nothing is left of her but her corpse. Now, Ereshkigal has a weird sense of decorating things, and so she decides to hang her sister's corpse from a hook. After three days, Inanna's priestess, Ninshubur, follows the goddess's instructions. She solicits the help of Inanna's family of gods. Unfortunately, all of them are pretty sick of Inanna's power trip by this time, and they think Ereshkigal is justified in her actions because they won't help her, except for Enki. Yeah, the one she stole the meh from. He scrapes the dirt from his fingernails and creates two beings with no gender, like Hermes, perfect little trans psychopomps, which just means they can travel between the world of the living and the dead. But very importantly, these beings have no ego. Wise Enki knew that Ereshkigal was in labor, and naturally she would be experiencing a great deal of pain. So these little angelic beings easily won her favor when they were able to empathize with the underworld goddess. She was so grateful for their understanding that she promised them anything they want. Well, of course, they asked for Inanna's corpse and giving it the food and water of life, were able to bring the goddess Inanna back to life. Now, the underworld judges, judges sorry, are not just going to let Inanna return to the earth above. They demand a sacrifice of equal worth to take her place in the underworld. First, they offer to take her priestess, then her hairdresser, but 
Inanna values her humble servants and chooses instead to send someone who is her equal. She sends Dumuzi, her husband, who, if you remember, she didn't want to marry in the first place. And you couldn't be blamed for thinking, well, isn't that convenient? But Inanna had just experienced a transformation or rebirth. And when you think of it that way, then maybe you can see why she would need her husband to do the same. In later stories, she actually brings him back from the underworld for half of the year and replaces him with his sister. So I guess she misses him a little bit. In this way, she has become the initiator of transformation. In other words, Inanna set her mind on the great below and Inanna was reborn. So, as we know that um, we've taken a journey, we started with the fool. In the fool, we got a sense of, you know, just intuitive awareness. We became aware of something, although it was just so nebulous, we had no idea what it was. And so then eventually we move out of the fool and we arrive here at the magician, which is really exciting because at the magician, that little vague inspiration begins to take on a little bit more identity. And we are intuitively motivated to do something. And that doing something involves taking a deep dive into our dark side. And that is exactly what happens in Inanna. And I think that it, she depicts it so well, um, that process of going in and all of that, that all that that involves, right, Desiree? Yes, it's almost, um, you know, it's almost a continuation of our story from The Fool of Persephone. And I kind of did that on purpose because uh, because as we've been pretty much getting at this entire time, the hero's journey is within the tarot. I mean, the tarot outlines the hero's journey. And so you can really, uh, you can really create an entire epic, uh, based on one character going through all of these stages. However, um, with our goddesses like Inanna, it's just so exciting because where we have a total mystery cult involved in, uh, you know, Persephone and Demeter, there's information about, I mean, this epic actually gives us some information about what's going on um, in the underworld. So what are what are the processes involved? Um Inner conflict, I think. Yeah, I think it's our happen. inner conflict. So if you're a male or you're a female, whichever, wherever on the spectrum you stand, there's always an inner conflict within the masculine and the feminine, except that we tend to um, project that outside of ourselves when really the conflict is taking place within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And in The Magician and in Inanna's story, we are having to go through the process of dealing with our darkness. And so when we're talking about the darkness, whether it's personified as the underworld in um, the story of Persephone or in this other underworld in the story of Inanna, it's really our deep subconscious mm -hmm darkness and in darkness does not always mean it's evil just like in light doesn't always mean that it's good the darkness is our struggle our inner um 
attempt to try to find ourselves. And that involves our fears, our insecurities, our hidden desires, our confusion, our lack of knowledge. That's all held in that darkness. It's like uh, being in the woods. So I always think like modern stories always have, I always talk about this with all of my nine-year-old, but how all the stories have a forbidden forest. Mm. And what that really is when your character stake, uh, you know, takes that first step forward into the forbidden forest, they are coming into this place that the magician is in where it's like, okay, well, you know, I can't see where I'm going. So now I have to just stay still and see what I can do from this perspective, right where I'm at. You know, you, you can't see anything else around you. So you're not, you're not in hell. It's not this evil place. The forest is a neutral place, but what it forces you to do is say, hey, you aren't moving. You can't. I know you want to go, but you can't go because you got to take take this time to look at what you've got. Um, and that, on that, you right and now. that's very, very important because in that journey, we are called to the first thing that we're called to is to ask ourselves, what is it that you're looking for or what is it that you desire, that desire, that thing? In you Nana's case, it's her sister's kingdom, there right? You go. In the underworld. That's what she thinks she wants when she approaches, you know, the the gate and the gate guard, Neti. Inanna, what are you doing here? And her surprise has to do with the fact that, hey, Inanna, you already are the queen of heaven and earth. What are you doing in your sister's domain? Well, there can only be one thing that Inanna is doing in her sister's domain. And you talk about that male energy. And I see that with Inanna. Even though she is a, a goddess, she really has this conqueror mentality, if you really think about it, this colonizer mentality, right? She's taken over her uh, her father's temple, um, the god Anu, the main temple in Uruk. And she's then, you know taken from Enki, you know, the the ability to create, and she's now coming after her sister. <laughs> Here we are. We got Inanna in the underworld thinking she's going to take her sister's throne. And how, okay, so she, so let's talk about these items, okay? Because in the actual magician card, where are we at here with this guy? Okay. We, okay, we can also, I mean, I, this, this is actually one, if you're going to talk symbology, this is probably okay. Um, so we're a using a different deck, but this is the Marseille, uh, the simplified yeah, Marseille right. deck. And then you have that one. But what always but strikes me seem to have the same things to them, really. Yeah. Well, and what always strikes me are the items on the table. I mean, that's what I see immediately when I look at this card. It's always the and items those are at the, the table. Elements that we have to deal yeah. with. Every one of those items represents an element of life. So let's unpack Inanna's. Items. Okay, let's go. What so does we have? have the crown. Okay, that's authority. We have the lapis beads, uh, the necklace, and then breastplate beads. Lapis. So the elements that we have to work with are five. One of them is spirit, which is never counted. But we have spirit. We have pentacles. Pentacles are the material aspects of life. So what part of Inanna's? I'd say the lapis beads probably are the pentacles because I do know in ancient times they would um, trade. Lapis beads okay. were very valuable That's items. We have the crown, which obviously denotes like, you know, authority. Royalty. So would that be the pentacles? Like, 
or the wand. Or the wands. Yeah. Wands is authority and action. Yeah, the ability to take action. Okay. And then we have the uh, breastplate, which is like the sword, right? The the armor, the breastplate. And her breastplate says something really awesome that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like insert it right here, the quote. But it's like, it says something like, come get me. Something like <laughs> Something really awesome like Here that. Here I am. I like that she's challenging. So the, yeah, I would say the the sword <laughs> is quite sword. challenging. So we'll we'll call it a sword. And then there's a ring, the ring, and I would think the ring would have to do with her partnership with. Would that be cups? Maybe like the cup. So I would think that's interesting. Cup. Where would spirit be represented? And spirit is normally represented as the what? Spirit is normally not represented. Spirit, so spirit. spirit Well, is, I think that's that's that final point. She's right. She's like the last thing to go is her ego. Aha. Uh -huh. There yeah. you go. That's so excellent. what what happens is, and then we have ego come up again um, when when Enki is going to rescue her, and he makes these. You know, I call them little trans hero psychopomps like Hermes. <laughs> So, you know, she's she's going to get rescued by these uh, non-gendered, which is a lot like angelic angels are these things sometimes. Um, that spirit. Non spirit is non-gendered. With no ego. Yes, with no ego. And they come to rescue her. And they feed the her corpse the food of life and give the water of, of life to her. Which water of Which, life? I mean, that's has a been it's been that's milk, always it's the it's Eucharist, always it's the wine. So that feeding, that nurturing, mm -hmm. that sustenance is spiritual sustenance. So there's the spirit element in it. I think that's, that's a good it. analogy. And then Dumuzi. Okay, and then the last thing that happens is she has to replace herself. You know, even though her body's been brought back to life by um, the these these uh, non-gendered spirits they have uh they have not been able to just fully bring her back up yet because there has to be a sacrifice of equal of equal amount and that's when she chooses Dumuzi and I think that's really convenient because she didn't like him in the first place but there's another way of looking at this in that if you're someone who's just undergone a transformation uh you know your equal your partner the other side of things must always also go through this and so then she becomes the initiator so whereas her sister brings her through this whole process uh, of rebirth for herself she has now to do this to Demuzi. Um, she must bring him through it as well and he I fights it he's not okay I with find it. that interesting because remember back in the fool we had to make a choice it uh, doesn't matter all of the circumstances surrounding why we made the choice once we made the choice we own it. It's ours. She made a choice, whether mm -hmm. it was, you know, because her brother said, oh, he gives you better gifts or whatever. She chose to marry this mm -hmm. man. And so now, you know, that old saying, you made your bed, you got to sleep mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she's now gone through this whole purging of, you know, whatever resentment she had for him, whatever she thought of him, all of that stuff. She had to deal with that. That's the purging. Mm -hmm. That's the coming to terms with the inner conflict, blaming the other side, the other gender, whatever. And now she's gone through this, and now she says, oh, my God, you got to go through it, too. Not mm -hmm. out of vindictiveness, even though the story may, you know, kind of uh, position <laughs> it that way or yeah. present it that yeah. way. It's, it's a very old story. It's so. out of 
a psychological awareness that is taking place. A balance. I now have gone through a transformation and I have become this, you know, Marilia 2.0. And I'm with, you know, version one point. <laughs> zero 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 back there you you want to bring them up to you want to give the opportunity for them also to uh, be able to to purge and to go through that process of growth right exactly and it could, it's and a you process of growth it and as, it doesn't mean you're going to grow together you might grow apart but it's a process but of you have growth, to go through it right? and you both have to, you're given yeah. equal opportunity to um to go through that process and get to the other side, wherever that will be. And that's the whole thing with um, the magician. You don't know what it's gonna ultimately be. Mm -hmm. Part of this whole process is trusting right. the process. Yeah. Yeah, so that is the magician. So let's hear a new story, another story. In our next tale, we meet Hanuman. Though he's not the main character of the story I will tell, he is a hero who assists the reincarnated form of one of the three supreme deities of Indian myth, and that is Vishnu, in the form of Rama. The Deva Vishnu has taken this human form so that he can defeat the Asura king, Ravana. In the world of Indian myth, Devas and Asuras are forces to balance, not to completely destroy and overcome like, say, the stories you hear in more westernized mythologies where we need to completely destroy and overcome evil. And that's why I'm using the terms devas and asuras rather than gods and demons. In the Ramayana, heroism is determined by devotion to the deva Vishnu through acts of loyalty and dedication to his human form, Rama. And like any good epic, there is a really good bad guy. In this case, the Asura king, Ravana. Big surprise here, he did not start off bad. This was just your run-of-the-mill, ten-headed guy who was just too smart for his own good. So he meditated for hundreds and hundreds of years and then sacrificed each of his heads to the devas until when he was about to sever his last head, Brahma appears, finally ready to hear his wish. Now, Brahma is one of the other three supreme deities of Hindu myth, along with Vishnu and Shiva. But unlike those guys, Brahma does not have many temples of worship. And this is because he does not always make good choices. Just ask, just ask his wife, the goddess Sarasvati. But that's another story. Ravana's wish is no surprise. He wants to be the most powerful creature in the universe. But even Brahma can't do that. So Ravana then asks to be made so powerful that no Deva or Asura can defeat him. To this, Brahma says yes, once again making a mess of things, because Ravana does what most people would do when they are handed too much power. He messes up the balance, and the Asuras overrun the place. Now, the Devas are not sure what to do to set things in balance again. They can't kill Ravana, so they figure out a loophole they decide to have Vishnu reincarnate himself into human form so he can find a way to defeat the Asura king as a human. But Vishnu soon realizes the limitations of humanity because even though he is born with blue skin, obviously the Deva Vishnu, his older brother, takes the throne after his father steps down and then his brother banishes him to the forest. 
Now, all Hindu devas and asuras have female consorts because remember, the idea here is balance. So, Rama's already married the incarnated form of his consort, Devi Lakshmi. And Devi is a word for goddess. Her name is Sita in her human form. So off Rama, Sita, and Rama's very loyal brother, Lakshman, go. And it's in the forest we meet the magician of our tale, Hanuman. While our, the, or while our three heroes were making their way through the forests of the continent of India all the way down to the island of Sri Lanka, where Ravana ruled, Sita was kidnapped by Ravana, who took the form of a beautiful deer and eventually captured the princess. As Rama and Lakshman raced to get her, they come upon the jungle kingdom of Kishkinda and meet Sugriva, the monkey king, Hanuman, the white monkey, and Jambava, the bear clan chief. These generous hosts listen to their stories and offer them their help in finding Sita and defeating Ravana. And by help, they mean all of their warriors. And by warriors, they mean all the monkeys and all the bears in India. So this amazing army of forest creatures searches high and low for Sita, but she is nowhere to be found and they have nowhere left to look because they have finally reached the very tip of India and there is nothing but miles and miles of ocean between them and Sri Lanka. The place, the last place, Ravana could be hiding the princess. Well, everyone is feeling pretty worn out and defeated by now. But just before the last bit of hope is lost, Jambavan remembers a secret. You see, Hanuman was a real troublemaker in his youth. He was actually a very, very powerful deva. In fact, he was actually a supreme deva. He was the reincarnation of Shiva. Yeah, you got that right. The last of the three supreme deities. However, a curse was put on him because he could not stop distracting the sages during their meditation, so he was made to forget who he was. Now, Jambavan knows what he has to do. He tells Hanuman who he is, and in the same breath releases Hanuman's divine powers. Hanuman grows and grows and grows until he is taller than the trees, taller than the clouds, and he can see all the way to Sri Lanka. Then he leaps over the ocean right onto the island. Shrinking himself back into normal monkey size, he is able to sneak into the palace and he finds Sita. Now, before he left, leapt onto the island, Rama had given him the ring that Sita gave him at their wedding so that Sita would know that Hanuman was coming on his behalf. So Hanuman gives the ring to Sita and her hope is renewed. But before he can do anything to try to rescue her, Ravana captures Hanuman and sets his tail on fire. Well, that was a big mistake. Huge. Because Hanuman just grew his tail really, 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 really long and flew all over the island of Lanka, basically burning the city to bits. So as he arrives back in India and tells his companions the good news, he's found Sita, there's another problem to deal with. Hanuman may be able to get across the ocean, but the army of bears and monkeys still could not. So Jambavan remembers something else he learned 
which is that if you write a deva's name on a stone, it would float. In this way, all the monkey and bear warriors were able to build a bridge of stones with Rama's name on them. And now the battle commences, and it's a clash between two very well-matched foes. In fact, you could almost call it balanced. The battle goes on and on until so many on both sides are defeated, including Ravana's entire family. And this really pisses him off. So he sets his sights on Lakshman, Rama's devoted brother, and Lakshman is badly wounded. This is a real blow to our hero, and he is ready to de admit defeat. But once again, John Bavan has an idea. He enlists Hanuman to fly to the Himalayas to find an herb that will heal the prince. Hanuman wastes no time, but as he approaches the great mountain, he realizes that there are, there are a ton of herbs, and he, he's not sure which is the right one. So... He picks up the entire mountain and flies it straight to the battlefield in Sri Lanka, as one does. Lakshman is immediately restored to life, and Hanuman returns the mountain, but not before kindly harvesting all of the healing herbs on Sri Lanka beforehand. With his brother's health restored, Rama is able to muster the courage to continue his fight with Ravana, and he is eventually able to defeat him using a magic bow and shooting him in the belly after many failed attempts to behead Ravana, who just keeps growing them back time after time. Rama also gets his princess back, and even his throne. But the outcome of the story is not our focus for today. Our focus is on the question, who am I? For Hanuman, that revelation makes a world of difference. This white monkey is living in the forest, a humble warrior who is not even the king of anything, yet he is actually just as powerful as Rama, and is in fact capable of more in his monkey form than Rama is as a human. And so, who is Shiva, you may ask? Well, Shiva is the destroyer. And Shiva is the transformer, the destroyer of what is so that what isn't can be. So once again, we have a hero's journey that leads us to the same place our goddess arrived, the realm of transformation. And through Jambavan's initiation, Hanuman was able to discover his true potential. Right. Oh my God, I love the story of Hanuman. Hanuman in person, in, in person, what? Person. <laughs> okay. You can speak. Try again. <laughs> Hanuman personifies the entire essence of the magician because it is, first of all, a story filled with all kinds of battles and challenges and obstacles. Yeah. And when we say, it's so easy when we say, yes, we must do shadow work. We must purge our psychological stuff. As if that was easy. Yeah. And okay? that's the skinny version. I mean, this is, I got that from a children's book that was already <laughs> skinnied. So, you know, Indian process, myth is intimidating to me. I have to do kids' versions of these The stories. process <laughs> that is called, that we're called to do in the magician is extremely mm -hmm. challenging. That's why a lot of people don't do it. I'm not saying I've completely done it. That's why we're doing it all of our lives because it is an ongoing process. What was it that he says? We must destroy what is... Oh, I, I, well, I said that. <laughs> oh, you said I don't, 
I was just uh, explaining that. that yes, that, that was per- uh, perfect words. You have to destroy, destroy what, what is, so that order. what isn't can be. Oh yeah. my God, that's that's <laughs> the whole process. That's what you're doing yeah. in the magician, right. and that's what we're doing our entire lives. We're destroying. I was actually what is in order, yeah. so what is not can be. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I didn't know that's not part of the children's story. I actually did a little research because I said. You know, all of these gods in the story seem to be reincarnations of other of like supreme deities. That's what the whole loophole aspect is. When I was like, you know, Hanuman, he has to be he has to be some kind of reincarnated god. And when I looked into it, Shiva. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And, you know, he Shiva is the transformer, right? The the one Pluto. who Shiva's Pluto. He destroy. He's and we're telling Shiva the this story. I don't mean to interrupt no, you, that's okay. but we're telling this story at a time where there are some major planetary ingresses about to take place. So Pluto has been in um, Capricorn for about 20 years, maybe longer. But the significance is that it is moving out of Capricorn and ingressing, meaning it is moving into Aquarius. And what that means is that the old men are being taken off the planet. And I have to tell you, and I'm not happy about old men dying, but the higher or the the, the um, a significance of that is that old ways, old outworn. We don't need so many of them. Old outworn, established institutions that are no longer working are being purged out. And mm. so, in essence, yeah. in society, we're at an age that is actually going through the magician phase. Are you saying old white men are Ravana, the ten-headed? Asura? Yes, could ah. be. Could be. What the masculine, pure masculine energy in its most um, productive form is what imp- compels us to move forward, to act, to take action, to begin the process of creation. It's like when you come out of the womb and you're immediately hit by bright lights. Yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly, (laughs) it's the masculine energy. energy. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. will, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? Conflatulate? Flatulence? (laughs) (laughs) Conflate. They conflate. Make sure you cut that piece out. <laughs> oh, we have to have a good laugh. But <clears throat> yes, flatulence. a lot of times they conflate the fact that, well, it's the woman who holds it all in her womb, but it's the man who's got to put it in there. And I just use woman and man, but we will say in creation, in the evolution of anything there is an impetus to put something in a place where it can then flourish and that's the first action the first act of action and that's masculine energy pure and simple now that doesn't mean it's a man okay you know i think that was the first lie we were ever told oh you're a woman oh you're a man we have two gendered that are working inside of us. They're two energies, and they're both necessary in order for us to be sustainably alive and to be able to 
to flourish and thrive. Um, and, and we have to come to terms with those within ourselves and befriend them. We have to befriend them within ourselves. You cannot um, befriend them outside of yourself in the world that we live in until you yes. have um, reconciled those things within yourself. Right. That is this whole um, stories here with Inanna and Hanuman. That's what's happening. There's conflicts of all kinds on both ends of the polarities. And until they're resolved, they can't find their happy place right these tarot cards they don't just apply to a one individual although they do mm -hmm. okay but they apply to our entire planet because we are a collective and so our entire planet is going through some shit. is going through some shit very well <laughs> said and it is going through the phases of uh depicted here in the tarot yeah. you know when you mentioned the hero's journey earlier um there's some people who say oh my i think it was he himself joseph campbell who said every story has already been told because here's the hero's journey and any story that has ever been told will follow this path and he's right you know why? Because that path, I think, is innately written inside of us. It's the and siren we, song. It's the sound of the universe. It is our intuition, what our intuition All this, All this shadow work, this takes place in here, inside our heads, okay, in our consciousness. And so this is the last stage to where we get that opportunity to, have you got your shit together up here? before we move on. So that'll be interesting. And we're actually going to do a really special episode for the High Priestess because we're coming up on In Bulk. So for anyone who celebrates In Bulk, this is um, going to be a really special episode where we highlight the goddess Bridget. Ooh, so I love her. She's redheaded. We're still going to have that masculine and that feminine balance in the storyline, but it's really going to be focused on her. Um, so... Yeah, and here come, I'm going to give come a, back and watch us. Absolutely, and come back and watch us, and I'm going to shamelessly plug another playlist on this channel, and that's where I do. I call it the Gumshoe series, and what that does is that I use astrology to as a possible forensic tool to uh, dissect crimes that are happening currently or some past crimes but what i am finding is that there is this um very um involved psychological component to all of these perpetrators and so go watch that channel because it's it does kind of tie it kind of ties into what we're talking about here about all that needed shadow work that is not completed or even attempted so that's a point. it's also more um focused on astrology uh whereas this series is tarot focused so for anyone who's more who's interested in that and uh, not just tarot that's a good place to go even if you're like me and you're a huge um non-fan of true crime you will be very interested <laughs> I'm the only one in the world, probably. But you will be very interested in the astrological, uh, the things that you learn 
yourself. So lots more content for you guys. Come back each week. We will be doing a, a tarot, a Major Arcana, one of these tarot stories. Yes, we will. Episodes. So. We'll do it once a week. We're not sure what day of the week it's going to be set on. Um, we're relatively just getting started, but I think it's looking like Mondays. we'll probably go live on Mondays. We're going to say Tuesdays just in case. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be there. It'll be there. <laughs> By Wednesday, there's going to be a live be uh, video up, and as we get uh, more fine-tuned, will be more precise anyway thank you so much for stopping by we really appreciate you and we always enjoy sharing our time with you we encourage you to interact with us leave us some comments if you agree disagree or think we missed something or we're off let us know we're interested you might know something we don't know or you might have a better mythological character that we haven't even thought about or some missing elements of a card that i didn't even think about. So we're always interested in knowing. Stay tuned.